Thanks for downloading this Status Podcast. For more information about Status, visit our website at whatsyourstatus.com. Also, check out our conversational podcast, Status Solarium. You can find it by searching for Status Solarium in iTunes or by visiting feeds.feedburner.com slash status solarium. God, shine your light on us. Reveal truth tonight. It's our prayer, God, that we would come in here and this be like something meaningless, something superficial. But God, let us see the truth. Let us see with our our spiritual eyes what's happening in this room tonight. Holy Spirit, as you move and as you speak and as you work, don't let us shut our eyes to you but illuminate us in a way that we've never experienced before. That's our prayer. God, if we miss it tonight, it's all meaningless. It's all worthless. So we beg you, let us see. And we pray it, believing in Jesus and standing on his truth power of his resurrection that brings life and light to us. So we pray in that name. Amen. Amen. You guys take a seat. Friends, good to see you. Um, Some of you weren't sure whether to come back to church this week after what happened last Sunday night. I'm glad uh, that you have made it. Um, last Sunday, if you were not with us, uh, we surprised everyone that showed up to church on Sunday night uh, by telling them that they were in a small group for the next two weeks, um, which made some people very happy and made some people not very happy. Um, but we've just felt like that we wanted to do more than just talk about community. We wanted to live it and practice it. Even those of us that feel like we have some good rhythms in that area of our life, we wanted to be inclusive and want to continue to remind all of us that it is uh, that the relationships that we have with one another are important, and that is meant to drive the way that we serve in the kingdom of God. And the reason why we exist as a body, uh, as a church community here, is not just for this, what happens on Sunday nights, but it's for this, what happens relationally. And uh, has anyone been a part of any of those groups this week? Yeah? Yes? Okay. Lots of you? Okay, good. Um, uh, I went to uh, to mine this afternoon. I had a few things going on, but um, I was really excited about getting a chance and opportunity to go. And so I walked into a house and, you know, saw faces that were unfamiliar to me. And, uh, you know, it's one thing when you come up with an idea that's for everyone else. It's another thing when you actually have to do it. And so for me, I walked into this house and I like showed up a little bit late um, and they were had already opened up with scripture and they were like having this incredibly intense debate about baptism and infant baptisms and those people that, you know, make a decision to follow and believe in Jesus. And then later on, you know, get baptized years and years later. And what does it mean? And what is best? And what is, you know, honor scripture and God. And it was so incredible to walk in on this conversation, knowing that this is what I want us to be about. I want us to be about friendships and conversation and opening up scripture where we're intentional about community, but we're committed to one another and figuring out what it means in light of Jesus and in light of the word of God. And and that's what we've been doing this week. And I feel like this week as the stories have come in and I've talked to a lot of different people, I feel like we have, like we've been a church community together. 
it feels really good. I don't know what your experience was. Maybe you're like, I hated it, but I loved it. So sorry about your bad experience. Mine was awesome. All right. Um, this week, uh, this week, Tuesday morning, uh, we typically uh, pray together every two weeks on Tuesday morning uh, at 630 in the morning at Lake Eola downtown. This week, we are not doing that because we're restructuring some things related to um, to praying together. Um, if you would like to pray on your own at 630 in the morning, we have not banned that. You can do that on your own. We just will not be gathering together to do that this Tuesday morning. Um, so there's no boiler lake. Um, and then another thing that I want to bring you guys in on. Uh, some of us have had experiences in church where, um, where churches that we've been a part of and, and church communities have been afraid to talk about money. And we've been afraid to bring up issues related to money because there are many of us that feel like anytime the church talks about money, it freaks us out. And so some churches like stay away from that. There's other churches that it feels like they just talk all the time about money. And, um, and then there's some of us that have been around those experiences and, you know, and some of us love it and some of us have hated it. We here at Status believe in being honest and real about what's going on in our personal world financially and what's going on within the Status community and in the larger Discovery Church context as well. And so I just wanted to be open with you guys and let you know that um, we here at Discovery Church have been in, as you know, everyone here in our, our culture and our, our country um, is in a lot of uh, feeling a lot of economic pressure and our church has felt that pressure as well this week everyone on staff with discovery church um, status is one of four um, campus communities of discovery church and um, all four of the campuses and, and everyone on staff with discovery church has taken a pay cut um, this week as a result of um, the lack of tithes and offerings that have come in and as well as there's been um, several people that have been laid off and it's a really, it's been a really hard time for me personally, for our family and, and for our status staff and the larger Discovery Church staff. And, um, and I just want to be real with you guys and just come back to you and, and just remind you and ask you to prayerfully consider what obedience looks like when it comes to the giving of your tithes and your offerings. And we don't guilt people around here, but we want to be honest and we want to be real. Um, we believe that tithes, giving of our tithes and our offerings um, is a part of our spiritual formation. We believe it's a part of what obedience looks like in our relationship with God. And so we don't do it, you know, out of guilt around here. We do it as a joy because we want to be people that live selflessly and generously. And so as your pastor, I just want to ask you to pray this next week about what you need to do in the area of giving of your tithes and offerings. Uh, my wife and I, you know, are still in our own life, in our own world, continuing to try to develop this rhythm of obedience where we give on a regular basis and we give out of the joy of our hearts, even though things are tight, even in our own home. Um, we don't pass a basket here to um, to remind you every week. So sometimes people forget um, we have baskets in the lobby again that are unmarked. But the, the point of these baskets that you walk past when you come in and when you leave is so that um, it, it represents an opportunity for us to, uh, to develop rhythms that aren't based on obligation, but it's based on the fact that I want to be someone that gives consistently. I want to be someone that's obedient to Scripture. Um, my wife and I, we give online. What's your, you can go to whatsyourstatus.com and you can give online. Um, that's more convenient for us. So whatever it is um, that's best for you, I just would ask that you, um, that you pray this week about how you can develop that rhythm more consistently and... Um, and bless, you know, the people around you here in our church community. So, thanks. Um, tonight, 
we are uh, beginning a two-week series, um, which is a little odd coming after, you know, eight and a half months on Jesus. Um, we're, we're a group of extremes around here. But um, we're really excited about where we've come from out of the Life of Jesus series. Now we're going to spend two weeks around the idea of what it means to wait. And, um, and the series is called The Long Way Around. And my friend Jeannie Stevens is going to be teaching us for the next two weeks on what this means. Um, would you please welcome uh, Jeannie Stevens? Um, Jeannie, uh, Jeannie is my, my former boss and, um, and she, she is, she is, yes, she's pretty and she's nice and she can be sweet as you will see, but I've had many moments where she has had to look me square in the eye as my boss and tell me things that I did not want to hear. Um, but, but one of the amazing things about Jeannie is she's been one of those people in my life and in in the life of my wife, Rebecca, that has been a voice of truth. And she's been a voice that has shaped and really cultivated new areas of character and growth in my own life. And so when I, when I, you know, invite Jeannie to speak, it's because I have personally have experienced so much from her wisdom and the way that God's been teaching her. And I look forward to bringing you in on that experience so that um, maybe I won't be the only one who's gotten in trouble. Um, and maybe that will happen to you. Um, but she, uh, she specifically has a gift of discernment and specifically has a gift of bringing things out of people that maybe they don't see in themselves or helping them experience their potential. She's re- recently written a book called Soul School. Um, many people are trying to figure out how to do ministry, how to do life, how to engage in work in a way that develops your leadership giftings. And Jeannie has written this book from the perspective of really helping people discover their potential in their character and in their soul and who God created and designed them to be. And, uh, and that's for sale in the lobby for 10 bucks. Uh, and want to ask you and really encourage you to pick up and, and read it because it really has, um, yeah, it's meant a lot to me and to a lot of other people, and I think it would mean a lot to you. So let me pray for her and for us, and we'll dive in tonight. God, thank you so much for the way that you use voices, um, different voices, different people um, in different seasons of our life to speak to us, to shape us, to move us. Tonight, we invite Jeannie's voice and ultimately the voice of your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to bring wisdom, um, to bring um, your direction, um, to birth new passions and new dreams in each one of us. And God, I pray that we would be surrendered In this moment, we would be available with our arms open and our hearts open to what it is that you want to say and speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It is so great to be here with you guys, and I'm excited that we get to spend two weeks together. And, uh, you know, I know that you're getting ready to start another series, and I'm not sure if that's going to be another eight and a half months long. So I'm like the little halftime show here uh, in the middle, and I'm excited to be able to at least be with you for a couple of weeks and to dive into this journey together and to see what God might have for us in the whole idea of waiting and uh, specifically spiritual waiting and, and our tension with it. And uh, just so you know a little bit about me, uh, I am married uh, to a guy named Jarrett Stevens. Uh, we've been married for 12 years uh, this last August, and we're going strong. Uh, 12 years, we've signed up for another 12 Um so uh, we're committed, and, uh, and he is truly the love of my life, my best friend. And we have two little people that are kids that keep following us around, um, and they're, they're in our house now. Um, we birthed them, and they call us Mommy and Daddy, and, uh, and we cherish them and love them dearly. And I, 
I need to be a good mom and show you a couple of pictures. Um, so uh, enjoy this. If you won't, I will. Uh, so this is Elijah and Gigi. See, thanks. The awe, oh, it works, you know. Uh, you think they're cute too. Uh, so this is Elijah. He's two and a half, and that's Gigi. She's four months. Um, I think there's another picture here too. Uh, this is Gigi. She's already into miniskirts, um, and she obviously clearly is wearing them inappropriately. Um, and so we're, we're going to have to do some, some talks over the years, I think, with her. Uh, but she's, she is so sweet. And um, this last picture is a picture of Elijah. And, um, yes, his shirt says, I'm awesome. And, yes, he does believe that about himself. Uh, but what's more important is that is shaving cream on him. And what's so funny about this picture is a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I came down the stairs and he was eating breakfast and my husband was there and they were having a conversation and he was like, mommy, mommy, I've got to tell you something. And I was like, what? And he was really excited. And he's like, guess what? And I'm like, what? He's like, I'm becoming a man. And I was like, really? You're becoming a man? He's like, yeah, I'm becoming a man. And I mean, he was thrilled about this whole idea that he was becoming a man. And I said, well, buddy, how do you know? How do you know you're becoming a man? He's like, well, I'll tell you. Pretty soon, I'm going to be able to mow the lawn with daddy's lawnmower. And that makes me a man. I was like, wow. He's like, not only that, pretty soon, I'm going to be able to take my skateboard and not just, you know, stand it and on the rug, but I'm going to go on a ramp. And that, that's going to make me a man. And not only that, Mommy, but, you know, right now, you know, I, I pee sitting down. But pretty soon, pretty soon, I'm going to be able to pee standing up. And I was like, wow, buddy. And, and my husband reminded me that a couple of weeks before that they were at, we were at the Braves game together. And he had to go potty. And there was only one option in the bathroom. And so he went in there and had to pee standing up. And he informed my husband at a high decibel um, and every other man in the bathroom, he said, I'm a man now, Daddy, at the Braves game. And uh, every guy, I'm sure, uh, really enjoyed that moment, um, and we'll never forget it. So uh, the last thing though, that he said that was making him a man was the fact that he was going to be able to shave one day. And so it's very sweet. Oftentimes in the morning when Jarrett's shaving, he'll put a little you know, shaving cream on Elijah, and he pretends he's becoming a man. And uh, I guess as far as Elijah is concerned, you know, when you turn three, that's that's when it happens. You you become a man at age three. And uh, it, it is so fun to watch him uh, be so excited about this thing. But it, it also has reminded me of this tension that we all live in, in that we all sort of want what's next in our life, don't we? You know, I mean, Elijah's so excited about what's going to be next. I mean, he's turning three soon. His birthday's coming up. And, and he can hardly wait to leave two and a half so that he can now be three. And, and we have this propensity. We're constantly looking for the thing that's right around the corner. I mean, we're not all that different than my two-and-a-half-year-old. Now, none of you are probably still hoping you're going to become a man. Um, maybe some of the women in this room are hoping you might become a man. But... Um, uh, none of you are, are in that same spot, but, but we have this propensity to want what's around the corner, don't we? 
We're constantly wondering what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. And we want to know what is this thing that's coming right around the corner. And it, and it could be with, with the big things of our life or the small things with our life. I mean, it could be with a job in, in that you feel dissatisfied with your job and you're wondering, is this it? Like, is this where I'm going to be going for the rest of my life, clocking nine to five? Or, or is there something better waiting for me around the corner? Or maybe it's with a friendship and, and there's this part of you and you've been waiting and you've been wondering and longing, like, is this it? Like, is, I, I love my friends and I'm grateful for my friends, but is the only thing we can talk about is the weather and, you know, what's happening on the news? Like, can our friendship go any deeper than this? Or, or maybe it has to do with a relationship and, and you're so desirous of finding that person that you can walk through life with and, and you're wondering, is that around the corner? Like, is that coming anytime soon? And we have this, this sense and this, and this desire for, for what we long to see happen. We want what's next to be what's now. And oftentimes it happens in our spiritual life as well, in our connection with God. And, and some of you may have been praying a prayer for a long time and you're wondering, God, is it right around the corner? Like, are you going to answer it soon? Is it coming up? Is, is it happening? Or, or, or do I just still have to wait for this thing? And, when we hope for something, whether it be a job or a friend or a relationship or for God to answer a prayer, when we hope for something, when we desire something, what it is that we're doing is waiting. It's waiting. And not many of us like it. In fact, it's one of the most uncomfortable things, isn't it? I mean, no, I haven't ever heard anybody say, you know, I've had the most amazing day. Let me tell you about it. I got up this morning and showered and got dressed and I got into my car and you know what was so amazing? I waited in traffic for an hour and a half and I loved it. It was so incredible. And not only did I wait for an hour and a half and have a smile on my face and I never honked and I certainly never said any inappropriate words and used no bad hand gestures. But then when I got to Starbucks, I waited in line for 20 minutes. And when I got to the counter, I went up there and I said, I want my grande soy vanilla latte. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. We're out. And I said, oh, don't worry. I just enjoyed waiting in line. I've never heard anybody say that. And then when they get to work and they drive into the parking lot and they drive around and around and around and there's no parking spots, usually they aren't smiling ear to ear with glee thinking this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Nobody starts their day thinking this is how I want it to go. It was hysterical to me. Uh, about a month ago, I was flying out somewhere and I was sitting on a plane and the plane pulled back from the jetway and um you know we were getting ready to go to the runway and all of a sudden the pilot comes over the loudspeaker and he's like ladies and gentlemen i'm sorry to tell you but due to some weather problems you know we're, we're going to be grounded for a while and we're not sure how long we're going to be here uh but we'll keep you informed and so for the next three hours as we sat on our plane and looked out our tiny little window at the sunny skies wondering why we had weather problems uh no one in the plane was smiling. Nobody was happy. Nobody was like starting sing-alongs for us to all join in, thinking like, this is the best thing that's happened to us today. Like nobody was like, hey, pilot up there, you know, behind that locked, closed, bulletproof door, we're just fine. 
You take as much time as you want. In fact, we love sitting here with no oxygen and that really stinky bathroom back there. We love it. In fact, we have nowhere to be. You take all the time in the world. Like nobody stood up and said that. People were standing up saying a lot of different things in that moment. No one enjoyed the experience because what we were doing was waiting. We wanted to get somewhere else and we weren't okay with the fact that we couldn't get there. We struggle with this. We have this tension and none of us really like it. We all want to get to the next place. And it's not just now in our lives, but really we've grown up and and it almost sort of scopes all the way through our trajectory of becoming adults. Like you think about when you're in grade school, you can't wait to get to middle school because in middle school you get a locker and it's awesome. It's really, really cool. Grade school, that's lame. I can't wait to get to middle school. We get lockers. And then when you're in middle school and you've got your locker, You find out that in high school, you can drive a car. And that's awesome. And so the whole time you're in middle school, you're thinking, I can't wait to get to high school because I get to drive a car. And then when you're in high school, you think, I can't wait to get out of high school so that I can go to college or get a job on my own because I'll be able to make my own decisions and I'll have freedom in my life. And and then when you're in college and you think, you know, I'm not taking any classes that have any significance to my life. I better go to graduate school so I can take a class that matters to me. You can hardly wait to get out of college so that you can go to maybe graduate school one day or, or get a job that really matters to you. And, and then when you get out of graduate school and you realize, gosh, is this what I went to graduate school for? I mean, I've been waiting tables at TGI Fridays forever. When am I going to get a better job? I have a graduate degree. Like, th- this is not fun for me anymore. And then when you're doing that job, you keep thinking, I've got to find a better boss. I've got to find a job that pays me more money. This isn't working for me. And usually all along the time you're wondering, okay, is there ever going to be that person that comes along and and maybe they're the right person for me and I'm going to know it and, you know, and and we're going to start this relationship and and, and you can't wait for that to begin. And and then if that does happen in your life and, and you meet that person and then a marriage happens, usually you start to think, okay, well, maybe we should figure out where we're going to live and what we're going to do. And so we need to buy a house or something. And so you're waiting to buy this house and, and then you buy this house and you sit there and you think, well, I guess what we're supposed to do is fill this house with some kids. And so I better have some kids. And so you have some kids. And, and then those kids get into middle school and you wonder, like, when are they going to leave? Like, how, how, why does this happen to me? I'm constantly waiting for this next thing that's happening in life. And we live on this trajectory. We live on this treadmill of what's next. What's next? What's next? And it's not just in our culture. It's not just in our life. You can comb the scriptures and you can see that this tension, this tension of waiting, this tension of wanting to get to the next place is all throughout scripture as well. In fact, a while back, I was really struggling and and really trying to understand why it was that I just didn't like waiting and, and why it was that God kept putting me in situations where I had to wait. And so I decided to sort of go from Genesis to Revelation and see, am I the only human being on the planet that has ever had to wait? And it is amazing to me, it is amazing to me that almost every significant narrative in Scripture has a significant season of waiting connected to it. Listen to some of these. Noah waited on a boat wondering, 
is this it? Is this it? Am I going to live in a flood for the rest of my life? Daniel waited in a den of lions wondering, am I going to be rescued? Or is this how it's all going to go down? Joseph waited in a prison over a crime he did not commit, wondering, is anyone going to come and ever let me out of here? Sarah and Abraham waited for years and years and years for a child that was promised to them. Jacob waits and works for the true love of his life, Rebecca. The Israelites wait in Egypt to be freed from Pharaoh. And then once they get out, they wait in a desert for 40 more years. David waits in a cave for Saul's army to leave. Jonah waits in the belly of a whale. Mary waits for nine months with the Son of God in her womb. Simeon waited his entire life for one moment to see the Messiah. Mary and Martha, they wonder and wait, is Jesus going to come and is he going to raise our brother Lazarus from the dead? The sick and the crippled, they hear about this incredible, incredible Savior named Jesus and that he can heal people and they wonder and they wait, is he ever going to come to my town is he ever going to touch me is he ever going to change my life jesus himself the son of god waits in a garden and pleads with god is there another way god other than the cross the disciples the followers of jesus they wait and they wonder if jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do is he really going to be raised from the dead paul he's blinded on the damascus road and he wonders Is this how life's going to happen? Am I going to walk through life in the dark or will I see again? And the entire book of Revelation ends with every single one of us in a posture of waiting for Jesus to return. So obviously, waiting is everywhere in the Bible. Waiting is everywhere in the story of God. In fact, it seems like God is not just okay with waiting, but that God is even a little obsessed with waiting he likes it he's into it in fact he's been doing it a lot and this i believe is one of the greatest tensions between god and his people is that god is more than okay with waiting in fact it's one of god's greatest mysteries as to how he transforms us but we are not okay with waiting we avoid it at all costs we run from it we hate it none of us wakes up thinking today all i want to do is wait it's all i want to do today and when you dig deeper into the moments when god allows someone to sit in a posture of waiting even though they are waiting i believe i believe that this is where the tension starts to unfold because when god allows us to wait he's not being inactive in fact something very active is going on to us it feels like we're stuck doesn't it It feels like we're not going anywhere it feels like we're in this in between from where we've come from to where we most want to get we want god to act now don't we We want God to change our circumstances. We want God to give us the right job or or the right friends or the right spouse or or to answer this prayer or to to heal this thing. We we look at the waiting and we go, there's no purpose in waiting. What's the point of waiting? If, If this is where you're telling me you want to take me, God, well, then why won't you take me there? 
What is it that you're trying to do in the middle of me having to wait? But could it be that God has some very specific reason for us waiting? That God is trying to actually do something in and through us while we wait. Because we see waiting as this horrible in-between from where we were to where we want to go. But I believe that God sees the present as exactly where he wants us to be. Exactly where he most wants to transform us and mold us and change us. Because in the middle of that waiting, when we feel like nothing is happening, God is active. God is on the move. God is shifting things in you and changing you and transforming you more into the image of what he longs for you and me to be. Because I believe whenever we're in a posture of waiting, God never leaves us without a promise and it's never not for a purpose. There's always a promise connected to our waiting, and it's always for a purpose. It's always for a purpose. God will never ask you to wait just for the heck of it. There's always something that God is doing and something that he is fulfilling according to his character and according to how he longs for you to most live. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is whenever somebody is in a tough spot or in a painful place or they're struggling with something, oftentimes we, we want to quote something to them. We want to we assure them. We want to remind them that it's okay that you're waiting. It's okay because God is good, you know. I mean, l- l- listen to this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and probably many of us have, have said it to somebody or we've said it to ourselves or we've read it and we've thought, okay, yes, that's true. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They are plans to give you a hope and a future. And it's an amazing promise, isn't it? I mean, you think about what that passage says, that that God is good and and God has plans for me. And even in the middle of my waiting, okay, God has some sort of purpose and and he wants to prosper my life and this isn't for harm and, and there is hope and there's a future. But I think so often one of the tensions is that we read Jeremiah 29, 11 and we don't read the verse that's right in front of it. Because Jeremiah 29, 10 says this. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. Then I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. So God's transformational plan with this promise was a 70-year transformational plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, God, I'm really struggling with this thing. I really need you to answer this prayer. And if I have to pray about it for longer than a day, I start to get frustrated. Like, God, I prayed about that for a whole day. Come on. And, And then, like, if it goes on for a week, I'm like, seriously, I know there are some crises in the world. But seven days, God, I have given you seven days. I've prayed for this for seven days. And, my gosh, if it goes on for a month, I'm like, Lord, come on. I mean, 30 days certainly you can get around to answering my prayer. And and this was a 70-year promise. And I think one of our greatest tensions with this 
is that we don't see time the same way that God sees time. Because when, when we're in the tension of waiting, we want God to show up when? Right now. We're not interested in tomorrow. We're not interested in next week. We're not interested in next month. And we're certainly not interested in 70 years, are we? We're interested in the now. We want God to be active. And, and that's our desire. But, but our world tells us that, you know, you can get things fast. Just do this thing or press this button or go to this place and you can be transformed quickly. And we have applied the same sort of philosophy to our relationship with God. We have this quickaholic spirituality. We want to microwave God's answers to us. And our world functions on finding the right technique or to get what you want. You got to get it quickly. And so for so many of us, this is how we sort of principle God. We put him in a box and we say, okay, God, this is how other people get through life. They they, they are able to quickly walk through and make decisions. So God, you need to be able to do the same thing for me. I'm going to trust you, but you just do it in my time frame. And we sort of look at God as this microwave and we press, you know, our certain amount of time and we wait for the answer to pop out. But God has never and will never function in our time frame because God does not see time the same way that we see time. God does not operate in our methods of time because God has never been running late. God has never been in a hurry. See, God has a plan and there is a promise connected to it. And he knows that sometimes it may take 70 years for that to be completed. See, not only when God waits is there a promise connected to it, but it's always for a purpose. There's always a purpose connected to it. God never just has you waiting and and saying, yeah, that's sort of fun. Just go wait. And really, there's no reason. Just, you know, hang out and wait. There's always a purpose that God is trying to fulfill when you are in a season of waiting. You know, one of the the stories that we real quickly looked at is the story of Abraham and Sarah. And it's an absolutely unbelievable story. It's found in the book of Genesis. In fact, I would encourage you to read the whole story. Um, But it's unbelievable because God comes to to Abraham and says, listen, I want to let you know you are going to have a child through Sarah. A promise for sure you are going to have a child, okay? Now, the tension of the story is that Abraham waits and waits and waits and waits. Sarah waits and waits and waits and waits. And they get to a point where they are now a collective 190 years old. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah's 90. God said to them, yeah, you're going to have a kid. It's hysterical to me. In Genesis 17, 17, God comes back to Abraham to remind him of the promise that he made to him. And he says, you know, I want to remind you, you are going to have a child through Sarah, and through that child, she will be the mother of all nations. And so this child is very significant. This child is going to make a huge difference in the world. And so God comes and says, I want to remind you, I'm going to keep my promise. And literally it says in Genesis 17, 17, that Abraham fell face down and laughed when God said this to him. Abraham fell face down and laughed. And I truly believe it's because Abraham was like, okay, God, a hundred. 
90. That kind of stuff ain't going on anymore. Like, we love each other, we're committed to each other, but us having kids, yeah, it ain't going to happen. Like, I think Abraham was like, Viagra is not an Old Testament thing. That's a New Testament thing, okay? We're not into that anymore here, God. How are we going to have a child? You know, this is impossible. Fast forward a couple of chapters. It says this in Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son. The woman was 90 years old. She had a baby. She was 90 years old. The entire life of Abraham and Sarah was waiting on this promise of God. And I have to believe that God's will was at work in refining their character and there was a purpose for the waiting. The amazing thing to me about this story, the amazing thing to me about Abraham and Sarah waiting is that all they had to cling to was God's character. All they had to cling to was the fact that God had said at one time, I promise you, you will have a child. Ultimately, God was saying, I promise that I will be the kind of God you can believe in. And I think for us, when we are in a season of waiting, when we are in a posture of waiting, when there's something going on in our life that we don't want to wait on, we start to oftentimes play God in our lives. We start to do things to to make things work out for ourselves. And we start to almost answer our own prayers. And there's a passage in Scripture, and probably many of you know it, Probably many of you have memorized it, you've studied it, and it's very simple, but as far as I'm concerned, it is one of the most complex passages of Scripture that man struggles with. It's Psalm 4610, and all it says is, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It could not be more simple, and it could not be more complicated at the same time. Because I think for many of us, we think, okay, be still. Okay, be still, be still. Okay, I'm just going to freeze myself. And I'm going to be still, and I'm just going to wait. And we think that there's no activity for us. There's nothing for us to lean into. There's nothing for us to do in that. All I have to do is just be still, God will be God. But that's the part that we have the struggle with. Is that we're so afraid that God won't be God. That God won't answer our prayer. That God won't remember that he gave us a promise. That God will leave us in the middle of our waiting and, 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 and we won't feel him or sense him or hear from him. That we'll be alone all God wants to say in that passage is that in your stillness, in your stillness as you wait, as you actively listen to me, I will be God in your life. 
I will fulfill promises. And this waiting has a purpose for you. And I can honestly say that it is one of the most difficult tensions around the mystery of God that I struggle with personally. I don't like waiting. No one has ever taken my name and put a gold star next to it and said, she's really good at waiting. I've never gotten an A+. No one has ever said, you're really awesome at waiting. I struggle with it. It's a tension. It is, it is a deep uh, wrestling match that I regularly have with God. And about two and a half uh, years ago, my husband and I had been doing ministry up in Chicago for a number of years. And we started feeling this um, movement and this feeling that God was calling us out of this place that we loved and had been a part of for many, many years and was calling us to something new. And whenever there's something new on the horizon, it's exciting and, there, and there's this sense of, oh, I, I'm going to go on an adventure and, and this is going to be great and wow, God must have some awesome things for me and this, this is great. I'm, I'm going to you know, get to the summit of my life and this is going to be incredible. And, and we felt this really clear tug and this movement and, and so we said, okay, I, I think that we're, we need to move to Atlanta to be a part of this, this new church. And, and I had such a certainty that God was taking us on this adventure and that, and that it was good and that, and that this was going to be awesome in our lives. That was until I got there. When I got there, I hated it. It was awful. I had left this place and, and these people that knew me and loved me, and I got to this place and nobody even knew my name. And I had left this job that was awesome and fulfilling, and I felt like I was using my gifts, and I got to this place, and within a few weeks, I thought, I don't think there's going to be a really clear thing for me to do here. I'm not sure I'm going to have a job that's going to be fulfilling. And suddenly, I felt alone. I felt like I'd made a mistake. I felt like we didn't hear God's voice, that we just had some really bad indigestion. And, 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 I, was, and I was just feeling this angst and this frustration. And all I sensed from God was that horrible four-letter word. hated that word. All I wanted to do was do something. All I wanted to do was change my circumstances. All I wanted to do was, was to make something work for my life because my life didn't seem to be working. And one day I felt this prompting from God to go back and to read my journals from when we were praying about actually moving to Atlanta and some of the, the prayers that I had written down and, and prayed over the whole process. And so I was paging through, and I came upon uh, this one day when I was praying, and I, and I wrote it down um, here from my journal. And this is what I had written before we had ever gone. I wrote, God, I desperately need to hear from you. I want to live in your rhythms, not my own. I want to be gutsy enough to follow you. I want to be faithful enough to trust you. I want to be honest enough to confess my deepest sin. And I want to be hopeful enough to believe that you have a new genesis for me. And I want to be patient enough to wait for you. And it was right there in my journal. It was written down. And I was so mad about it. 
All I wanted to do was like get rid of the journal. All I wanted to do was like start deciding to journal in pencil instead of pen because it was permanent. I wanted to erase it. I wanted to take it back. I wanted to say, God, I was having a really good spiritual day that day, but I don't believe that anymore. I don't want to patiently wait on you because this is hard and this hurts and it's painful. And all I want is for it to be over. And I turned um, another page. And it was shocking to me to read what was next in my journal. Because every so often I'll, I will get a sense when I'm praying that God has some words that he just wants to say to me. And so I'll just jot them down and write them down as if, um, you know, it's a letter from him. And this is what I wrote on that day. Jeannie, I have a future marked for you. It does not have the same tones or themes that these past ten years have had. The past ten years have been about brokenness and transformation. And you are not the same person that you were 10 years ago. You are much more mature and wise and soulful. You are ambitious and self-seeking, and that is not a part of your makeup anymore. Sure, you can dig up those characteristics and you can try them back on, but they won't fit right, and you will be grossly uncomfortable. The new day that I have for you is not about proving yourself. It's not about gaining position. You don't need to fight those battles for yourself. Don't get me wrong. It will never be easy for you. You are strong and intense. And you need to work hard to not be misunderstood. But I am keeping you in the corner this next season. And when the bell sounds in your life, I will step out into the ring. And I need you to trust me in the waiting. And I can honestly tell you that when I read that, nothing in my circumstances changed. Nothing got better. I wasn't offered a job immediately. I didn't have like 16 friends knocking on the door saying, hey, we want to know all about you. We're so glad you're here in Atlanta. I still wanted to leave. I still wanted to go. I still didn't like my circumstances. But somehow in that moment, there was a peace from God that invaded the tension of the waiting. And I was somehow able to see that God was transforming me in the waiting. That God had something that he was doing in and through me as I was waiting. And I'm sure that there is a very real part of many of you <coughs> that is thinking, you know, I'm glad that Josh you know, brought his friend here to status and she seems to be a semi-decent person and thank you for reading from your journal and that's very sweet and I'm sorry for the pain that you've had and And that is difficult, and I hope that it gets better. But listen, nice lady, you don't know a thing about my life. You don't have a clue about what I'm waiting on. My knees are bloody. 
over the prayers that I've been praying. Because I've not just been praying them for a year or a week or a month. I have been praying them like breathing. I can't stop praying them. And God doesn't seem to be answering them. And you're right. I don't have a freaking clue about what you're waiting on. But I do know that in the middle of waiting, God has a promise for you. And there is a purpose for your waiting right now. God has a promise for you. And there is a very clear purpose in why you are waiting. And I wish that I had some sort of mystical, amazing power to say, and here's what that purpose is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't even know sometimes what it is in my life other than that God is wanting to transform me every moment more into the image of his son Jesus. And one of the ways that he most commonly does that in my life and in your life is through waiting. And it may be around, like we said earlier, it may be about wondering when are all of these things that are so random in my life and these experiences that I've had in these moments, when, God, are they going to come together and actually make sense? Or when, God, am I going to have a job that I can use my gifts and my passions and and the things that you've called me to do and it's going to be fulfilling and I'm going to really like my boss and they're going to give me a decent salary for it? Or when is that relationship going to finally be okay? When is that friendship going to work out? When is that prayer that I'm praying for going to be answered? When is there going to be healing? And I don't know this, but I do know. I do know that there is a purpose in your waiting. There is a purpose. I don't know when it will be over, but I know there's a purpose. And a number of years ago, there was a book that I read in the middle of um, a difficult waiting that I was in. And it was called When the Heart Waits by a woman named Sumant Kidd. And she says this, Transformations come only as we go the long way round, only as we're willing to walk a different, longer, more arduous, more inward, more prayerful route. When you wait... You're deliberately choosing to take the long way, to go eight blocks instead of four, trusting that there's a transforming discovery lying along the way. And I don't know about you, but whenever I have had an option of choosing eight blocks versus four blocks to get somewhere, every time I have chosen four. I have never deliberately chosen eight. I have never signed up and said, you know what? I want the longer, harder, more difficult route. I've always chosen the easy route. But I have found with God that oftentimes it's in the eight blocks. It's in those four extra blocks that God is doing some incredible work of transformation in my life. 
And I know that some of you are on an eight-block journey right now. And you desperately want it to be four. You desperately want it to be over. And let me tell you that on those eight blocks, God has not left you without a promise. And there is a purpose. There is a purpose in your waiting. And so I'm going to pray for us as we move into a time of worship. And as we do that and as you bow your heads, um, one of the things that I would just ask that you do is try and identify for you. It probably won't be too hard. But what is that thing that you're waiting on right now? What is that thing that you're wondering? What is that thing that causes you to be in tension with God? And just as you uh, close your eyes and just bring that to God right now, I want to pray for us. So if you just identify what that is. And let me pray for us. God, we just come before you right now. are living in the tension of wanting circumstances to be different, wanting relationships to be different, wanting experiences that we've had in our past to to no longer affect us in, in this present moment. We want something that feels like it's right around the corner, but for whatever reason, just don't seem to be able to get there and God we just identify that we are waiting we want to come to you as your honest kids and confess to you that God we struggle with it and and it's hard but yet God we want to ask you tonight that you would help us to live in the beauty of being still and knowing that you are God when we are still God that you, you don't you don't cause us to, to go into a mode of freezing but you cause us to go into a mode of trusting and believing and hoping and praying and believing that you are God and so God in these next moments we want to ask you to be God in our lives we don't want to control we don't want to spin we don't want to try and pull ourselves out of the waiting because we know God that it is in the waiting bring about transformation. So God, we give you this moment. We ask that your Holy Spirit, who we know is here, would move and prompt. And that God, we would be ushered into your presence and into who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. songs distract you.
beauty of waiting is that it's not a passive process. It's an active process of seeing God moment by moment. Seeing His presence. Knowing that He's here. So God, reveal Yourself. Thanks for listening. To contact us, you can send an email to podcast at whatsyourstatus.com. Also, remember to check out the Status Solarian podcast.